Christ high as a guiding light for all to Bible reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we're reading from verse 12. It can be found on page 1151 on the Bibles in front of you. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If every part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Uh, as you're, um, we've already prayed, so we don't need to pray again. Um, and um, as you're opening your Bibles or keeping them open to page 1151, <clears throat> I want you to think about this question. If you had to nominate your best body part, and I don't mean you've got to say it out loud, right? But if you had to nominate your best body part, what do you think it would be? You've got a nice smile, cute ankles, you've got a sparkle in your eyes. Maybe you've got really symmetrical elbows. Perhaps you've got a belly button that would stop traffic, although hard to work out how that would be. But if you had to nominate your best body part, what do you think it would be? Okay, um, let's switch gears. I'm going to ask you another question. Um, if we were to play one of those word association games, you know the ones where um, you have to say the first thing that comes to mind 
So I say manly and you say coffee snobs, right? Yes, we're on the same page uh, or whatever it is. What would be the first thing that springs to mind when I say the word church? For some, uh, it'll be a building. Uh, For others, it might be like an institution, you know, the Anglican church, the Roman Catholic church. Some of you might uh, immediately think service. Uh, Hopefully, some of you first thought joyful. And um, if you first thought boring, just keep that to yourself, okay? (laughs) You know, um, what's odd is to discover that actually the answer to the second question, what is church, is actually much closer to your answer to the first question about body parts than it is about buildings or institutions or services, whether they're joyful or boring or whatever. Uh, alongside a picture of the family unit with mothers, fathers, brothers and sisters, the metaphor the New Testament uses most to describe us as church is actually the human body. We heard that in our reading just then. We're going to see the exact point the Apostle Paul is trying to make by using the human body as a metaphor for the Christian church. And hopefully that's going to be a bit of fun. But before we get into that, we've just got to work out where we're kind of up to in our program of study. So... Obviously, we're in the back half of 1 Corinthians 12. Again, obviously, that's right in the middle of 1 Corinthians 11 to 14, which is a unit of um, this New Testament letter of Corinthians that is, is concerned really with how to be and how to do church well together. And so it may look like we've covered uh, single issues like men and women in church or the Lord's Supper or even spiritual gifts, and they might all seem kind of disparate and disconnected, but they're not. You see, they're all connected to the way the Corinthian Christians, they were the first recipients of this letter in the New Testament, the way they were struggling to be and to do church together well. And so today we're picking up from where we left off two weeks ago, looking at the question of spiritual gifts. And uh, we're going to see that there's one distinct principle to understand. There are three statements that you're just not allowed to make. And there's a number of practical suggestions about how we can apply this part of God's word to our life together. So, uh, first thing for today is the one distinct principle to understand. And that is that the body of Christ has got many parts, meaning many different parts, not all the same parts, and yet it's still one unit, which is patently clear, isn't it, if you read those kind of uh, first verses from the reading. Uh, Read in your Bibles along with me from verses 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So you hear those verses, and uh, it's readily apparent that just as our physical human bodies are, or at least you know, usually are, a single unified thing, so is the local church, the gathering, the community of God's people. Now, you, know, you read that verse, and you think, well, that sounds obvious, and it sounds cliched, and it sounds clear, but it is worth just pausing for a moment to reflect on what an extraordinary thing that is to say. Political parties are deeply divided, aren't they? Uh, Not just against each other, which is kind of their job, but even within themselves over policies and personalities. Footy clubs are divided amidst power struggles and sackings. And yet the Apostle Paul says that many parts form one body in the body of Christ, the church. 
And so I think the obvious question is, well, how? How can that work? How can that be if political parties can't unite and footy clubs can't come to a common mind? On what basis does the Christian church, the community of God's people, the body of Christ, unite? And the answer from these verses, and it's just one answer, but the answer from these verses is that we are united because of our reception, our receipt of the Holy Spirit, who is given to us, to all Christians, by none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Have a look at verse 13 in your Bibles. We were all baptized by or baptized into one spirit. We were all given the one spirit drink. Now the word for baptize, it literally means to kind of dip or to be immersed in water. Uh, And so we often think about kind of immersion in water as an outward sign of baptism. But the Apostle Paul here is not talking about the outward sign. He's talking about the inward reality of being baptized or immersed in the Holy Spirit. Or or to use a, a slightly different idea, but still in verse 13, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Uh, that is, we take him, the Holy Spirit, into us, internally, spiritually, as he takes up residence in our souls. Not physically, he's the Holy Spirit, but he makes his home among our spirits. Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Spirit. Jesus is the one who sends us or gives us his Spirit to drink. We read in John 14. But importantly, you just got to notice the effect of us all receiving the same Spirit. Because that reception makes us many and varied and different parts into a single unified whole. Just pick up the language in verses 13 and 14. All baptized. One Spirit form one body, given one spirit. So regardless of our ethnic background, whether we're Jew or Gentile or whatever, regardless of our social background, slave or free or whatever, regardless even of our church or religious background, if we trust in Jesus Christ, his life and death and resurrection, we've all been given the one spirit, which forms the basis of our unity. Now, brothers and sisters, if this is true, that we've all been immersed in the same Holy Spirit, that we've taken him internally into our souls, then the question is not whether we've all had the same spiritual experiences. The question is not whether we all have a particular spiritual gift, which is sort of a litmus test of who's a first-class, fair-dickum Christian, because that's what seems to have been going on in Corinth. The question is whether all of us who are Christians here are expecting the Holy Spirit who was given by Jesus to have an increasing and deepening influence in every part of our lives. Now let me ask you Christians, is that what you're hoping for? That the Holy Spirit would have an increasing and deepening influence in your life? I hope so. By the way, if you're not yet a Christian here, We would love you, I mean, I hope you feel welcome. We would love you to know that the Christian faith is not just a dry, cerebral intellectualism. It's not even just a worldview, a way of looking at the world. We'd love you to know that it's a deeply spiritual, ongoing encounter where we are changed from the inside out, compelled by the love of God, motivated by the extraordinary sacrifice of Jesus when he died for us, and enacted by the work of the Holy Spirit not just in our souls, but in fact in all of our lives. We want you to know that it's a deeply spiritual thing. 
It's just that sometimes we Christians happen to forget it. So what unites us, at least in 1 Corinthians 12, is the common work by the single Holy Spirit in all of us to form us into one body in Christ. And firstly today, that distinct principle is something we just have to understand because it could be very easy for us to divide over our various gifts, what we have and how we use them. Secondly, for today, there are three statements about spiritual gifts, giftedness, being a part of the body, that you're not allowed to say, not allowed to think, not allowed to believe, not because of censorship, just because they're plain wrong. Okay? Here's the first one of these statements it is, I'm not needed here, or I don't belong. We often think, um, don't we, that uh, one of our body parts is more important than all the others. Celebrities think this from time to time, don't they? Uh, and sometimes they take out insurance policies on a special body part of theirs, don't they? Uh, apparently it first started with a cross-eyed comedian in the 1920s called Ben Turpin. Picture of him here. He took out a $20,000 policy against his eyes uncrossing. Like that was pivotal to his act. But to be honest with you, it just gets weirder and more expensive, doesn't it? So Gene Simmons, uh, the lead singer of the 80s shock rock group Kiss, uh, he had his freakishly long tongue insured for a million dollars. Now I'm thinking, what does he think is going to happen to it? Like, is someone going to rob it? No one wants to touch that thing. Is it going to get burnt in a house fire? Ridiculous. Uh, Heidi Klum, the German supermodel who Donald Trump is currently running for President of the United States, has just this week said... Is no longer a 10. Sounds rude to me. <laughs> then again, I'm uh, operating in the 3 to 5 range, so... <laughs> she, uh, she, she insured her legs for $2.2 million and her left leg is insured for $200,000 less than her right leg because she's got a tiny scar on her left knee. So uh, these folks obviously think that one body part is more valuable than the others. And I, I wonder if we're tempted to do the same with our life together with the different members of the body here at church. Think that some people are more important, others are unimportant or unnecessary. If you've got useful and obvious talents, you're a part of the body. But if you don't know what you bring to the group, you might just think, oh, I don't belong here. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that a person who's the member of the body of Christ can never think they don't belong could never think they're not needed. And to make his point, he, you know, the apostle has a bit of a joke. Have a look in verse 15 in your Bibles. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. You know, he's just saying it's a, kind of a ridiculous way to think. And actually, if that is the way that you think, or that is the way you talk, it doesn't take away from the fact that you are, in reality, a part of the body, a part of the community. In other words, you just can't contract out of the body of Christ. And look, maybe uh, in Corinth, those with the more spectacular gifts like um, speaking in tongues or healing or the working of miracles made other people with less spectacular gifts feel not just less important, but actually not a part of the fellowship. And it could be different for us. Maybe um, if your contribution is less obvious, if it's not something you could slot on a roster. Maybe you think, oh, maybe I'm not needed here. 
The Apostle Paul says, doesn't matter. Each different part is a part of the body. Each belongs to the body. Each is needed by the body. Each different part is to be used for the sake of the body and you can't contract out because you feel inadequately gifted any more than you can contract out because you just couldn't be bothered. So that's statement number one. Statement number two that you're not allowed to say or believe or think is that another part is not needed. Effectively saying, you're not needed, you don't belong. And again, the apostle is playful. Have a look at verse 21. He says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, don't need you. Kind of interesting how the metaphor works, don't you reckon? Because it's the eye, you know, the window to the soul and all that. Uh, And it's the head, you know, the very top of the body. They seem to look down on the really functional parts of the head and the feet. How stupid to look down at the humble feet trampling around in the dust of the street when it's those very feet that keep the head and the eyes out of the dust. Verse 22 points us out by saying, the parts that seem weaker, the parts that seem less noble, more ordinary, the bits that you just might cover up, are actually indispensable. You can't do without them. I wonder if, the, if Paul had been writing in our day and age, he would have said something like this. How good would your life be without your bum? You ever think about that? Not that good. Um, actually, ludicrous, isn't it, to have a hand talking? Hands don't talk, uh, or a foot talking. But it's funny, when you say it out loud, you realise how ridiculous it sounds. Isn't that true? I went to a uh, psychologist a few months ago. Now you're all interested, aren't you? There's a part of this uh, official Anglican thing they had to do, and uh, you'll be pleased. I was assessed as having a low chance of being neurotic and a psychopath. Yeah, anything can happen at full moon, I think. But anyway, he asked me about my childhood, so I tell him a bit about my childhood. I say, what about yours? You don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I ask him about, uh, or he asks me a bit about my relationship with my parents. I tell him about my relationship with my parents, and I'm like, and you? And he just frowns at me over the top of his glasses. And so I thought, look, conversation's a two-way street, isn't it? And uh, you don't get to ask all the questions. So I thought, if we're not going to be friends, at least I'm going to get some value add out of this whole experience. So I said to him, what do I do? How do I process things when I get worried? You know, when you get anxious about stuff, when you're awake at night and um, you can't help thinking and your brain's going at a million miles an hour. It was very interesting because he said, I needed to get it out of my head. That's what you've got to do. And it doesn't matter how you do that. You write it down. You speak it to someone else. You just say it out loud. It doesn't matter. And once you get it out of your head and you speak it out loud, you realize how ridiculous your thinking is most of the time when you're like that when you say it out loud. Now, I think you and I, we would probably never verbalise such thoughts as, I don't belong here because I'm not extraordinarily gifted, or you don't belong here because you're not as gifted as me. Because when you say that out loud, man, it, it actually does sound ridiculous. But you do have to ask yourself the question, do I think that way in my head, that I'm either inferior and don't belong, or I'm superior and don't need others here. Because if you do think either of those things, get it out of your head, say it out loud, and then call it out for how ridiculous it really is 
Look again in verse 12. Verse 12. Many parts, as in many different parts, yet one body. Look again in verse 14. The body is made up of many parts. Look again, verse 20. Many parts, one body. Look again in verse 27. You are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. We all belong to the body if we are Christian, though different, differently gifted. We are each a part of it without being the whole of it. Nobody can say I'm not needed, and nobody can say you're not needed. And the third statement that you just are not allowed to say or believe is, I don't care about you. You can't say or believe that either. All parts are required. And in fact, some parts require more care or special treatment. Because it says there in verse 25 that God is concerned not only that there's no division in the body, but that there's also equal concern for the different members of the body. Now that actually shows you that there's a real connection between spiritual gifts and pastoral care, isn't there? They're related ideas. One part suffers, we all suffer. One part is honoured, we all rejoice. So uh, those three things are three things you just can't say, I'm not needed, you're not needed, or I don't care about you. If our gifts are going to unite us rather than divide us, just three things you cannot say or believe. They're just plain wrong. Now we are going to finish with uh, some practical observations that are based on verses 28 to 31, so have that open in front of you. And um, the, the real cluey ones among you might have noticed that the list of gifts that he has in verse 28 is slightly different to the list of gifts that he brings up in verses 8 to 10 of the same chapter. The Apostle Paul includes some gifts from verses 8 to 10. He leaves others out and then he adds four new ones. Apostles, teachers, helpers, and administrators or guiders. And like one of the things that tells us is that none of the lists of gifts in the New Testament is meant to be exhaustive. But it is interesting just to have a look at the new ones that he flicks in here in verse 28. Because you'll notice in this list uh, and in other places of our New Testament, like Ephesians chapter 4, there is a primacy of kind of word ministry. Uh, Although, of course, people with word gifts are not more important or any better than anyone else. And so you'll see there in verse 28, he talks about apostles. Not so much kind of capital A apostles, Jesus' disciples, the guys who wrote the New Testament, but kind of small A apostles. Uh, Literally, they're they're the sent ones. Missionaries, church planners who take the gospel to new frontiers, new places. Then he mentions prophets. We're going to look at that in two weeks' time. And then teachers those who really kind of do the follow-up work from apostles. They kind of bed down the gospel into established churches with careful, ongoing Bible teaching and instruction. Still there in uh, verse 28, he adds in gifts of helping, which is new and like wonderful because it's probably the most common gift or manifestation of the Spirit. It's exercised by, I would say, the greatest number of believers because isn't it true We can all exercise the gift of helping, can't we? I'm personally wary of any Christian who thinks they're above helping. You think you've got a great preacher, but if you won't scrub the dishes or the toilets, you ain't got a great preacher. Root meaning of that word helping is the idea of taking a burden on oneself and off another. Do you think that's something that you might be able to do today or this week? 
fourth um, new gift that he mentions there in verse 28 is the gift of guidance, which is often translated as the gift of administration. And the idea behind that word, guidance, administration, is that of a ship's pilot. You know, actually in uh, modern Greek, uh, the same word is used of airline pilots. So there you go. Uh, It's talking about people who can steer, people who can organise. Probably not the kind of great ideas person, but the, the, the person who charts a course keeps things on track. Someone who can deal with the details whilst keeping an eye on the overall. Is that you? Could it be you? Sounds like a pretty handy skill set you've got there, my friend. So what are we going to do with this idea that in the body of Christ, the local Christian community, he's given gifts to be used for the common good, gifts that are varied and diverse as we are varied and diverse just plain different gifts that are meant to keep us united rather than divide us what do we make of it all now there there may well be some of you that go "Ah, ah." you think that's not even a word what's a it's not a word but I don't know what my gifts are (laughs) I can't put into words I just don't know what they are how can I work that out and look you could you could do a skill finder survey that are online you could ask a buddy See what your friend thinks. Maybe a better approach is to just have a go at things. Don't you reckon that if you wait around for like the perfect opportunity that completely matches your skill set and your passions and your experience, that uh, you could be waiting around for a long, long time? Maybe it's better just to kind of jump in and get into things. Then you might even discover that you got gifts you didn't realize you had. And I would say, uh, many of us are in small groups. Why wouldn't you start in a small group? For a starter, they're smaller. They're more informal context. You probably like most of the people in your small group. They're going to be pretty forgiving environments, aren't they? Actually, they're going to be great environments, I think, to practice gifts of teaching. You know, we probably need some more small group leaders. Why don't you say to your small group leader, why don't you you let me do a study? One study a term. Why don't you say that? Great environments to practice service, great environments to practice gifts of helping or administration or encouragement or prayer or pastoral care so that everyone is looked after. Like, don't leave it all to your small group leader. Truth is, you may not be able to do heaps of ministry at this stage of life. You know, um, maybe your body is kind of shutting down. Uh, Maybe family needs are high. Uh, Maybe you've not been Christian for very long. Maybe there's, there's no room, there's no margin in your life and that's something you're looking to change. Maybe you're just timid. But I think even if you're timid, there's ways that you can exercise service or ministry or gifts. I mean, in the big group, but even in the small group, so that they don't just become kind of nice, cosy, nurturing, inward-looking environments, but, but they're places where you push one another to mature as disciples of Christ by serving and exercising ministry. That, that would be a good way to not underutilize the small group environment. Uh, and I recommend just trying things. Of course, there'll be some of you and you'll be frustrated. You feel like, oh, I'm serving on so many fronts. I feel like I'm doing all the work. Why aren't there more people that are helping me out? Some of you will feel like, man, I am one square peg in this round hole. And, uh, you know, I don't fit. (laughs) It's giving me bruises, maybe. And I'm sure it's not perfect. And uh, I'm sure we haven't got... uh, I'm not even sure it's possible to get into a place where everybody is just humming in their exact sweet spot. So let me acknowledge that 
I do want to thank the hundreds of people who serve here at St Matthew's, exercising their gifts in many ways and their concern for the body of believers here. But uh, you know, let, let's dream dreams and go big picture-wise and say, well, we love people to use their gifts, you know, talents, opportunities, abilities, personalities to serve one another here. Uh, of course, we'd love people to serve where they can and be joyful about it rather than feeling guilty about what they can't do. But, you know, I think uh, the first gift that we bring to one another week by week is just the gift of ourselves. It's just our presence. I mean, what Ian said before is spot on. Just by being here and bringing the best of ourselves. You know, one of the uh, genuinely heartwarming things about St. Matthew's is there are just so many people that are involved in um, ministry in so many ways. I've never been to a church where there's so many people serving. Uh, for me, a less heartwarming part, uh, for some of the least, is, is there's a, there is a slight vibe where you turn up to church when you're on the roster and when you're not, it's up for grabs. And I've never been to a church where there's a culture like that. And I just don't think it's right. And I don't think it's good enough. And I think we can do better than that. As if handing out a bulletin to me is more important than having you sit next to me when you're not handing a bulletin out. Now, I need you to hand the bulletin out when you're rostered on, man. But I need you to sit with me when you're not. And I need you to sing with all your heart and soul. And I need you to stir me. And I need you to look me in the eye and encourage me to keep following Jesus more wholeheartedly. But you can't do that if you're not here. Pretty basic and obvious. So, let's remember that the church is not a religious product to consume. We're a body. And each of us is a part of it. And let us give our, our very presence to one another. It could, be the most, it could be the greatest, it could be the most spiritual thing we do. And if you're looking for ideas on how you could do that, I'd suggest talking to Ian. Now some of you will, will feel like just the idea of jumping in somewhere is inadequate. You know, you've got passion and energy and capacity uh, that just can't be channeled or at least completely channeled here at St. Matthews. And I would just say, look, of course you've got our blessing and encouragement to employ them uh, in ministry outside here. You know, you might be involved in a parachurch organisation. We've got people who chair missionary boards that serve the church and the community well beyond here. We've got people involved in civic groups that are literally running the community, state, the country. Well, we're for that. Of course we're for that and we're interested in that, we want to pray for that because we can't do all that within St. Matthews. I mean, the truth is, you can't focus on everything, otherwise you focus on nothing. So if you're involved in something outside, then may God bless you in your efforts. But can I still appeal to you to take your place in family life here? Or to use the metaphor of 1 Corinthians 12, to be a part of the body here. Even if it's not precisely in your strike zone. Even if it's not something that can be put on a roster. Let me tell you something, man. I love the local church. I do. And I love this one. It's a great, great church. And I, I don't know if you have this sense, but I have this overwhelming sense that as the local church, this one grows, holds out the gospel of life. That's the message, the only way that wayward humanity can be restored into right standing with God through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. We hold that out. It's nothing short of the hope of the world. So, be a part of this 
local church. As we uh, finish, you might really fancy those symmetrical elbows of yours or that cute smile. I'm really not sure about the traffic stopping belly button, but whatever. That's all good. Let's think about our spiritual body parts, how we can employ our gifts to serve others, how we can celebrate, how we can care, how we can enjoy other gifts so that we live up to this beautiful reminder that we've read in 1 Corinthians 12. Let me read it to you one last time. We are the body of Christ and each one of us is a part of it. Let's pray.